Thank you for listening to episode seven of the Kindness Rebellion. In this episode, I talked to Euphoria, a stripper uh, from here in our own Utah. She has performed in many clubs across uh, Utah, Colorado, and even in Oregon, Washington. We have an awesome conversation about the nature of sex work and how it's sort of viewed within our society and also how it's viewed personally by her. Um, and then we also discuss all sorts of topics ranging from agriculture, the you know localization of our systems from globalization, and even the internet and mental health issues. So I think you'll really enjoy this podcast. Uh, please make sure to like and share it uh, or do whatever it is you do to show me you like it. Thank you so much. thank you so much for being on the podcast like i really really appreciate it um i had a whole lot of fun just kind of seeing you posting on social media and stuff and kind of bringing up bigger concepts that we i don't know i think people are either just unable to communicate about or um are really scared to communicate about uh for one thing like kind of your views on like sex work and your views on you know our healthcare in america especially in regards to like covid and stuff like that so since that's kind of what jump-started my interest in bringing you on the podcast, I kind of wanted to start um, just with those basic concepts and things like that. Because um, one of the things we talked about is, like, can we change the world? You know? Yeah. Do, you, do you think we can change the world? Uh, yes. And I think that we're doing it currently. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I also want to say thank you for having me oh, on yeah. the podcast. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but I think that we are currently changing it as it is, and mm -hmm. whether that be in... A good direction or a bad direction is, yeah. you know, an entirely different topic. Yeah, it's kind of all, hap both is happening at once for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, because I like how you acknowledge that, like, we we are currently changing the world. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, when you're like, oh, we can change the world, it's like, no, you can't. It's like, well, like you said, we are actively we're, yeah, changing we're it. doing it. <laughs> so I guess, like, uh, I'm curious in what ways you think we should change the world. Um, I mean... It's not something that we'd be able to do as individuals. It would have to be a collective effort. Mm -hmm. And that effort would have to begin a little bit higher on the totem pole yeah. than us personally. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, like, it's a good thing to buy the organic vegetables, like we were talking yeah. about. Not shopping with Amazon and... We're trying not know, to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I don't know. We just got to be a little bit of an anarchist. Everyone's got it in us. We just need to uprise and be pissed off and yeah. see what happens afterwards. I don't know if there's a direction it needs to go. It just needs to change in some way. I think that's kind of where I'm at, too. Like, in the end, really all we need to do is just have more freedom to be able to change the world, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we think of all the, the different power structures we come in conflict with as soon as we try to make any sort of like meaningful change because uh, even trying to buy organic groceries and stuff like we were talking about because i've had people tell me that they're like like well man if you think like agriculture should be organic then you should buy organic you know pull the market that yeah. way but um for one thing what even is organic like when we're buying organic what yeah. are they actually saying it is you know we have no real understanding of that so i think that's where your point that it needs to be 
systemic and larger change makes yeah. sense. You know, we have to have a clear understanding of what we are trying to do and what we want to have changed. Yeah. Um, well, and as far as like uh, organic foods go, I don't know if you, you know, well, what is organic first mm -hmm. of all? And it's yeah. like, okay, does that mean no GMOs? Like mm -hmm. maybe GMOs are a good thing, but oh, maybe yeah, they're also a bad thing because yeah. it's, you know, mm -hmm. they're pat patenting like Monsanto's patenting all sorts of fruits and vegetables and then oh yeah that's a weird concept yeah, right no, like for sure. how are we trying to own like produce in that way yeah. where we're creating our own produce and stuff that that's really interesting well, to me actually it's been a i don't know about here in utah but just you know other farmers that i've seen talk about it on the internet mm -hmm. having their crop like copyrighted and taken <gasps> from them in a way because oh, there's cross-pollination between the GMO seeds uh -huh. and the non-GMO and then all of a sudden, you know, farmers a few miles away are gr mm -hmm. accidentally growing part Monsanto yeah. like corn or And how are they supposed to even avoid that, right? Like and there's no way to avoid it mm -hmm. other than, you know, just killing Monsanto and <laughs> <else>. <laughs> or killing all the pollinators, right? That's maybe yeah, that's what we need to do. They're, they're, that's corporate <laughs> espionage that those pollen those pollinators yeah, are yeah. engaging in. They need to be arrested, <laughs> not the farmers. It's it's interesting cuz I've I've actually heard kind of about that type of colonization that's been happening in kind of agricultural space. And I really think that like one of the main ways we need to change the world is starting with our food and starting with our agriculture. Um, I don't know. There, there's things that you and your partner have been doing that I really, really like. Just the fact that you have your own like property and you've been trying to, you know, grow your own stuff if you can, yeah. you know, you've been trying to sort of cultivate that sort of um, independent lifestyle and I think that's where kind of where you're saying like we just got to be like anarchists in that yeah, way just... to really start we just got to start <laughs> saying like we need people to stop telling us what we're okay to do yeah like well, we just got to make mistakes and figure it out along the way right yeah and kind of unlearning what is traditional around that mm. but especially like bringing up the property is our recent thing because we haven't been um, you know stationary for too long yeah Instead of gardening this year, we decided to just dedicate our entire lawn to whatever indigenous plants mm -hmm. want to grow there. Yeah. And housing, you know, the insects and whatever mm -hmm. else. And we'll go and pull out the things that aren't supposed that are to. That causing trouble or yeah, whatever. Or, but... you know, just aren't um, indigenous or like. That's important. Grow here. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've actually heard like one of the. You know, when you're planting crops or even having just like indoor plants and stuff, people are trying to getting rid of trying to get rid of like all of their insects and all oh, the things yeah. that live there. And it's like you have to have that biodiversity. And it's weird that we take like exotic species and just plop them in a desert yeah. and say like waste yeah, a ton of water strange. trying to keep them alive and stuff. So I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. And I I just like that you know both of you are really trying to just live independently. Um, in fact, like. Even talking to you previously just about your career as a stripper, um, it sounds like I had all of these uh, preconceived notions of what that might be before talking to you about it. And then hearing you be like, actually, it's a lot more independent where, I mean, I guess you could tell me more about that. Because, yeah. like, do you feel like you have a lot of freedom in that job where it's not like you're not reporting to bosses? You're not trying to report to someone. You're just yeah. doing what you can do. Yeah. No, it's been it's been good in that way just because you know for the mm -hmm. most part you are like a sole contractor mm -hmm. there's some 
I don't know if I'd say they're good or bad movements, mm-hmm. but workers' movements yeah. um, in the industry to make strippers employees instead mm. of, you know... Independent, independent contractors, contractors or whatever they are. Yeah, and so, you know, with that, all of a sudden everyone has to start, like, reporting mm-hmm. their earnings to the government and yeah. paying taxes on it mm-hmm. and all of that, but then it protects you in the way that if something happens to you on the job, you know, your yeah. employer has to... Take care of you. Yeah, right? if you fall off the pole and lose all your teeth like that yeah. girl in Miami. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that she's would not okay be good. Yeah, okay. okay, good. As long as she was able to get those teeth yeah. back. Me. <laughs> I, I guess I didn't even think about that because uh, part of me was just, like, excited that it was sort of a space where you could, you know, if they were treating you poorly, you could just be like, fuck you, I'm out of here, you yeah. know? And I guess there's value in that, but then also needing to be taken care of if, yeah. for any liabilities well, and, and I, stuff like that. It's like a topic for me that I just don't even know where I fall mm-hmm. with my opinion on it yet because I enjoy, you know, yeah. just... you enjoy the work. Yeah, well, and I enjoy not having to report to a boss. I yeah, enjoy, I you know, mm-hmm. anything that I do or anyone else around me does is, you know, they're liable for that. I do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Like... I think there's a certain level of protection that comes with being a sole contractor yeah. as far as like the club goes because if there is like shady things going on yeah you, you don't get in trouble for yeah, anything like, like you're that. less involved in mm-hmm. in that aspect that is kind of nice yeah but there's you know another end of the stick where um you know as a sole contractor working in strip clubs you go it's like contract mm-hmm. work and you pay to rent the space oh, so, okay sort of like a salon kind yeah of thing. kind of oh, okay and so if you if we all became employees the idea would be that we didn't need to pay house fees anymore but then yeah. it would just like even out in some way like yeah the dances would be cheaper or interesting you know, yeah there just wouldn't be the same earning potential mm-hmm. i guess that's um, so interesting because like i i could see how it would be really valuable to just like have a steady protected job um as an employee but then yeah you, kind of the just the lack of earning potential like you were just like you were just describing um that's really the key motivator for you isn't yeah. it yeah because like you can make good money yeah. as a stripper right yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's that's kind of the most important thing and i guess as soon as you're employed then they can be like well we're only going to pay you ten dollars an hour yeah and uh man that would change the industry completely yeah. well and i don't think they'd be able to take our tips from us in any way mm. um but i don't know i've worked at six different clubs and all of them are run a little bit differently but yeah. in oregon or at least portland oregon mm-hmm. um the everyone who's a stripper is an employee Mm. and it still functioned like most of the other clubs that I've worked at. But at the end of the night, they were like, okay, did you at least make this amount of money? Cause they would like subsidize it and like give you cash out of the register or something. Interesting. Okay. That was the only difference that I really ran into in that aspect, but Mm -hmm. I have a very limited experience in the field of being an employed stripper. Yeah contracted yeah that's interesting i think that that well that's actually another part of it that i thought was really cool is just the fact that like you could go on some sort of like road trip or like vacation and in order to make money you could just walk into 
pretty much any strip club, yeah. right, and work there. Yeah. So that that kind of nomadic aspect to it was actually really interesting for me too, because um, you know it's nice being an employee and being like. It's not nice being an employee. Let's no. face it. Uh, <laughs> it's not. I, I don't. <laughs> I wouldn't agree with that. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's, there's a nice sense of security that you can have with it. But in the end, I think it, it is more valuable to be able to have more control over your life in yeah. that way. And I think that's really cool. And, I th- and that actually kind of leads me into the bigger question with, with you know, stripping and kind of sex work in general. And actually, I wanted to ask real quick, do you feel like stripping is considered sex work? Yes. Okay. Awesome. I kind of thought so too, but, you know, obviously it's not the same as prostitution or anything like that. But I think all of them, all aspects of social, or sorry, sex work can, um, can be valued in the same way. Yeah. But I guess what I was saying with that is, um, one of the things I'm really curious about is I... I'm really against sort of the commodification of human beings in Mm -hmm. general, right? So that's kind of where my opinions on sex work land. Yeah. Is I understand you got to do what you got to do to survive. And especially if you're good at it, do it, right? Um, I'm just, and I've seen you talk about this online too, just kind of turning someone into a money-making machine through their body, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on that and see if the... <laughs> and see if the the ability to be working on your own and like having that independence sort of helps protect you from being commodified in a harmful way. Yeah. Um, well, like through my perspective, any aspect of sex work mm-hmm. is akin to a therapist, at least in my mind. You know, there's mm-hmm. certain things humans need to be happy and survive yeah you know emotional connection and someone to talk to and process things with like yeah. a therapist is one aspect of that and then there's an aspect where people want companionship mm-hmm. and you know yeah i guess entertainment that's where it kind of comes into the yeah like it's kind of mixing all those together yeah. isn't it um that's interesting yeah. so do you do you think it helps protect you from like you know feeling just like an object um, I mean, I think that it really depends on who your client base is. Yeah, <laughs> <In> my, <laughs> that makes a big difference, yeah. I bet. <laughs> In my personal experience, it's been, I've met a lot of just, like, good people who are mm-hmm. just, you know. Just wanting connection. Yeah, just wanting connection. Sexual intimacy. Yeah, intimacy. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there are times when you've got. It's usually like a bachelor parties or mm-hmm. like work parties where they're like, oh, fuck yeah, naked women. Yeah, like, it you know, kind of be, yeah. yeah, just being perverts. <laughs> and, I mean, and that's the other thing that's great about being an independent contractor and choosing who you will and won't take yeah, as a client. client because if someone's us. a dick, then I'm like, I won't even say anything. I just like walk up and stand up and walk away. Mm-hmm. So okay, so I think yeah. I think that's the part of it that I that I was really interested in is because you know I've seen working in like a customer service role as an employee and not yeah. an independent contractor. I have to just take take shit from people, you know, yeah. and I and I kind of assumed that in any aspect of sex work, you have to operate in a same similar way. Yeah. It's just like this person's doing something that makes me uncomfortable. It's making me feel like, you know, make not making me feel good or whatever. Yeah. And I just have to deal with it because I'm trying to make money right now. Yeah. But you feel like you're able to control that and kind yeah. of handle that. I, well, like I said, being a sole con or independent contractor, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, 
gives me the opportunity to avoid those customers. And I mean, there are nights where it's, you know, mm-hmm. not very busy and you're like, ah, I guess I'll talk here, to right? Yeah, I guess I'll talk to you even though you're kind of a pervert. Yeah, know? yeah. Then you start playing a character and you just, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like dissociating. Yeah, and I've kind of heard that. Yeah, and it's like, that makes it sound like it's not a good time. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a good time, but it's not necessarily a bad time. It's just yeah. like getting into a character you're and just being like, mm-hmm. you're so funny. Yeah, like, yeah. You know? And so that's an aspect of it. But there's a lot of, not a ton, but there there's a large minority of people involved in sex work who don't have the freedom to do that because mm-hmm. of, you know, pimps or, yep. you know managers or anything like that so Mm -hmm. i do have a very limited um you know perspective yeah on how that goes and i you know there's Mm -hmm. people who are survival sex workers which are people who are only in the industry because they don't have any other options oh i see and you know it's probably a different um it's a different story for yeah different story for them for sure Mm -hmm. but i've been incredibly lucky to be in the position i am and also you know just not really take shit from people yeah <laughs> i mean and that's kind of part, part of your of personality too you're able to I, I've, I've noticed you have you have a lot of self-dignity you know you're able to say like no i'm not going to allow people to treat me like that yeah. and i'm and I, I think it's cool that there is a space in sex work for you to be able to have more autonomy over yeah. like your body and what's happening to you because um you know even like kind of that persona that you were talking about where you just kind of have to disassociate a little bit and become someone else just to get through the scenario. Like I have to do that in customer service yeah. like all the time, but I can't, if, if they keep treating me like shit, I can't just all, or I can, but I have a lot more consequences yeah. <laughs> if I just decide to be like, you know what? You're a piece of shit. Leave, like go away. Yeah. But you can, I feel like it's cool that you can do that. Yeah. And I think there's something valuable there with sex work in general. Um, and, I think that's good because I'm always worried about just commodifying people at all, you know? Yeah. I, I'm i always worried about the idea of, I mean, kind of take OnlyFans, right? There's people who all they have to do, right, is um, they're just like, yeah, I just take some pictures of my tits and I make yeah. pretty decent money from it, you know? And I can survive and get by. And it's like there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And then I see people or I've heard of people who are on OnlyFans who – it became like this sort of lifeline for them. And so they started having to do things that like they weren't comfortable with, like, you know, like maybe feces play or something like that, because like those are the people that are paying more, you know? Well, and when you put a price on something, Mm -hmm. you know, just tie back into the commodification of people. Yeah. It's like, okay, realistically, how much money would it take to convince you to play with feces on camera. <laughs> and I feel like... It would be grand, a lot. <laughs> in the, I mean, in the grand scheme of things... Oh, yeah. touch the mic. If I... I'm like, eh, good $3,000. <laughs> like, why the fuck not? I'm not going like, to put it in my mouth. Yeah, but... you, you, could pay, you could pay for some good hand sanitizer after <laughs> yeah, that point. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's kind of where the... the line kind of blurs for sex yeah. workers. It's, it's like, you know, are you doing it because... You want to do it? I mean, mm-hmm. nobody wants to work, I don't think, at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a good but, point. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, I feel like that's where it becomes an issue when, like, so much money is offered that you would do things that yeah. you wouldn't do otherwise. You're sort of selling, you're selling your dignity at that yeah. point. Um, and 
And I can't really judge anyone for doing that at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. No, we've, we've curated a really disgusting system in general where people are always doing something that they don't want to do or feel like they shouldn't have to do just to make enough money to survive. Yeah. And um, I guess that's why I can't sit and condone or sorry, I can't like condemn uh, sex work at, at large or in as a whole because at the end of the day it's people just trying to make it by and they're just good at being able to connect with people with their bodies yeah um and, and I, I feel like there's like as much as it's you know physically intimate there's also like an emotional intimacy mm. aspect of it that it's like you know there's clubs that i've worked at where you are not like you have to stay relatively covered mm-hmm. unless you're, you know, doing like a champagne room or whatever. Yeah. And at that point, like you're making an emotional connection with someone before mm, before, you're... before they pay you. Well, mm-hmm. I guess even with clothes on, strippers are hot. But yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I there there is like an aspect of that where it's yeah. just emotional connection and people needing to talk to someone that they're not going to have to i don't know like there's a there's a certain level of intimacy or i guess freedom mm-hmm. and intimacy that comes with going to a strip club and just paying someone to listen to you talk about your dead daughter or yeah. you know like I'm actually i've really... heard some really sad stories i'm really <laughs> curious stories, about that but... do you feel like those moments are are authentic like it's not it's not marred by the the transactional yeah, like pretense for, or whatever. For me, I I feel that way, but mm-hmm. there's been a few times where I've had customers who are to the point where they're almost in tears, and I'm also mm-hmm. welling up, and they're like, yeah. "And I know you're just listening because I'm paying you," and I'm like, "I mean, yeah, like kind of, but also like I am listening. I right am now. listening I'm here with you. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that that gives it a lot more value in in general, and it kind of it makes me sad that um there's so many that there's a lot of people that are already lacking that yeah you know like i think it's good that you know sex work can co-op that and be a safe space for people that are just struggling emotionally and things like that and then it also makes me really sad that there's a lot of people struggling emotionally and they have nowhere to go yeah no and that's i see your connection to being a therapist now yeah i see what you're saying when you get people a little you know People are usually drinking and mm-hmm. people just Inebriated. start saying things. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You kind of have to roll with that, I bet. Yeah. You know, there's so many people can react to so many different ways when they're drunk. So that's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And, and that kind of brings me to wonder how, how does that, um, what are the emotional and like personal aspects of sex work just for you? Like for you personally? Because uh, I, I do wonder whether um, being a sex worker is just emotionally draining and like i wonder how that affects intimacy with your partner and things like that can you kind of describe any of that for Um, me yeah i mean i would say that it's more like it's emotionally draining in the way that you are taking on so much emotional labor it's Mm. not even you know like the aspect of being sexualized and hypersexualized or whatever it's Mm -hmm. like you just meet so many people that are just, yeah. you know, just vying for any labels, type right? of human connection. Yeah. And it's like, you know, to tie it back into the therapist thing, it's like, yeah, you can tell your therapist that you're really fucking sad, but mm-hmm. she going to get naked and hug you? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not no, it's a whole new scenario <laughs> yeah. there. Um, 
And so, like, it is it is emotionally taxing, and I mean, beyond the customers, it's also, you know, working with other girls in the same space who are dealing with the same types of emo- emotional labor, and mm-hmm. then also the other things that kind of unfortunately follow the industry, which is drug addiction and, oh, yeah. you know, things like that. And so it's emotionally taxing um, just in the aspect of the girls and the customers. As far as, like, intimacy with my partner does not bother it unless they want to just lament about something that I just don't have the patience to sit uh, there and just don't look. have yeah. the energy for, like, just after like, a long day yeah. or something. I can yeah. see that. that. I could see that Complaining, being... Complaining, I guess. And that's, mm-hmm. maybe that's a toxic trait of mine. I mean, like... I'm like, I sold all of my emotional labor for the day. Go talk to someone I sold else. all of it. <laughs> it's gone. I think, I mean, there's something to be... There's something in that, though, because obviously you can't just be a shoulder to cry on all day long. Yeah. Right? And, and I think it's interesting to hear that emotional labor tied in with the sexual labor, too, because there's just two aspects that you're having to deal with potentially all day long yeah. right um and so I, I think i don't think there's anything like maybe it's toxic in large amounts but i think yeah. it's good that you're aware of it first yeah. of all um I just need to be more conscious about reserving mm-hmm. the you know i guess emotional longevity yeah to you know hear out the people mm-hmm. who are in my personal life yeah i mean it's not just my partner it's kind of you know Everyone Almost in your personal everyone, life, yeah. right? Well, and like the other girls at the strip club, even when, you know, there's some girl in the back crying because she only made two hundred dollars. Oh like, yeah, like, oh my god, like I can't focus on this right now. Yeah, <laughs> there's someone else crying about their dead grandma right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that I think that's a kind of a cool aspect that I remember you talking, remember talking with you about as well. Uh, just kind of the solidarity in that group. Like, yeah. do you feel like you build up pretty good female relationships yeah, within that culture? It's, um, I feel like it's a lot different from any relationships with women that I've made outside of sex work. Mm-hmm. But I, I was actually talking to my partner about this not too long ago. But I remember the first time walking into a strip club locker room and just overhearing the other girls. And it's like, there are no boundaries on what those friendships and relationships look like. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're... I like I guess kind of unfortunately um exotic or stripping comes with it attracts a certain group of people um and people who are usually you know mentally ill or neurodivergent in some way mm-hmm. or you know they grew up in poverty or yeah. recently out of an abusive relationship mm-hmm. or you know everyone has some type of quirk or trauma but there's like it's a Venn diagram. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of us are fitting into the center of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's been cool just to you know make connections with people like that, but it's also because of the way the industry is, um, you know, you you'll have these very deep connections with people, mm. and then they might just be gone the next day because they found a something job, to do. Yeah. yeah, they might have moved without telling anyone. You mm-hmm. know, like just crazy stuff like that and so it's like as much as their friendships it's also just like they're not really built to last yeah and it's it's very straight like it's it's hard to explain Mm -hmm. to anyone who hasn't like 
experienced it themselves. Yeah, for sure. But it's like the girls at the strip club, I mean, girls that I don't even see anymore, you know, mm-hmm. know more about me than like my parents do. You yeah. Know? Like just even my partner in some aspects, mm-hmm. just with stuff that, you know, it's like. Because you're in that space of being, I mean, pretty vulnerable in a lot of yeah. ways. And so you kind of just, that's kind of interesting though. You can really bleed out to people and know that it's, I mean, it's probably not really going to bite you back in the ass, especially yeah. if they're just leaving the well, next day, right? Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the topics that people are are vulnerable about are just like at least one other girl in the room, you know, and I'm talking about the locker room in specific. Yeah. That is like an ecosystem of its yeah. own. <laughs> but it's like, you know, you could be talking about mental health struggles, mm-hmm. um, relationship struggles. Yeah abortion money struggles just you know anything Mm -hmm. and at least one other girl in that room is going to have some type of experience that she can relate to yours and kind of you know yeah it's like help each other through that moment yeah Mm -hmm. i mean and don't get me wrong there's some people who are assholes yeah (laughs) like there's you can't avoid bitches yeah that's just the way it (laughs) is right yeah i think that's totally fine and uh i like that i think it's i think it's good to know that i don't know it being a being on the outside and never having like worked or even participated in that industry in really any way. Like I'm just fed assumptions and I'm fed like these ideas that like, especially growing up in our Mormon culture, right? Like it's like, that's just taboo. That's like evil border, like exactly evil, but it's cool to hear that there is like raw human emotion. There are people being real, actually connecting and developing meaningful um, experiences all throughout that. I think that's really yeah. cool. I'm it's glad. A great experience. Yeah, and I mean, overall, do you like it? Yeah, I don't see myself doing anything different for as long as I, you know, can do it. But mm-hmm. it's, I enjoy dancing, and I I enjoy meeting new people, and yeah. you know, mm-hmm. hearing different perspectives, and you know, just meeting people from other walks of life. But then there's also the opportunity on the side of like the customers to, mm-hmm. you know, talk to people who are successful and I'm like, okay, what'd you oh, do? Yeah. Like, yeah. How do I emulate it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And figuring out how to kind of grow in that space. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. I'm wondering, um, do you think, cause you said that, um, sort of in that space, you really find a lot of people that, you know, dealt with poverty, right? Yeah. Maybe dealt with like sexual abuse or just, um, various like toxic aspects within their life i'm wondering if we sort of address the overarching problems in our society like poverty health care things like that do you think there would even be much of a a need or maybe a um was a, like a market for sex work after, at that point um I'm, i guess it's kind of a weird roundabout question like but i'm wondering after the downfall of capitalism <laughs> ideally <this>. right yeah. <laughs> i i don't know because like maybe if a, if it's like an apocalyptic scenario people are just going to still be searching for intimacy yeah. and things like that um i guess what i'm really wondering is i want i do want to see us build a society that can provide like spiritual meaning for people yeah. um and like help cultivate like environments of spiritual meaning and so i guess i'm kind of curious if like if sex work or if that environment is built and created do you think sex work would even really exist for very long i i've been asked this question before really yes and i i really don't know where you know yeah what the answer it's, it's, it's hard to guess yeah. yeah of course but i mean everyone <laughs> is 
looking for intimacy and whether yeah. that whether or not they're going to the strip club for that is, yeah. you know mm -hmm. another thing entirely but there there's a demographic of people who come into the strip club and they're there for you know the con company and intimacy because they are disabled or mm. mentally ir ill neurodivergent whatever yeah you know, like they have a hard time making organic connections with people yeah and so as sad as i guess it is yeah is it's like you know a place where these people can come and they you know can pay someone to mm -hmm. just be listen their friend them, listen to them. them yeah i mean i'm sure that the fact that you know like i said the nakedness is also probably it also is a nice factor yeah it's about, a nice yeah. factor <laughs> it adds but, to uh, it <laughs> and it, it sounds a little bit dark in a way too but it's like the things that I've been told by customers before, I'm like, if you said that to any type of professional, mm -hmm. you would probably be put away yeah, or, you know, kicked out or some shit, right? Yeah, like <laughs> get hospitalized or arrested. And it's just kind of, you know, the girls feel safe because there's security in these places yeah. and, you and know, they're used there's to the that thing. Already. But yeah, so those people, you know, in the perfect world where. We aren't just being monetized would probably you know still come to do their thing um i can i can kind of see but, what you're saying though because yeah. like um it's really i mean i'm sure it's very hard for someone who you know maybe is disabled maybe even like disfigured or something yeah. like that and they're just um they are just seeking intimacy like and even sexual intimacy. I yeah. think I think we don't realize how important sexuality is in people's lives because we really do try to suppress that as a culture, yeah. right? Um, or even just like, I think it's interesting that we sort of do tuck it away into strip clubs, right? Yeah. And then even uh, build up assumptions about that place in general. But, you know, sexual... People being... People understanding their own sexuality is really important and oh, is like yeah. really necessary, right? And... Um, you know, may, maybe the strip club isn't the best way to get it or whatever, but it's definitely going to be a starting place for people who have just been um, sort of cast out yeah. or just never really paid attention to. Yeah. So I think that's valuable still. Well, and I, like, you know, post-capitalism, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, like, hard to even imagine, imagine what the, stru <laughs> yeah, what the <laughs> like... structure of that would be like. But there's also a lot of people that come into strip clubs because they... Um, like they're truckers or mm -hmm. you know like yeah. they don't their lifestyle doesn't allow them to maintain like a organic relationship with yeah. another person they're out on the road yeah, all they're the just time gone for mm -hmm. so long or you know it's yeah just a lot of different aspects to that and you know i'm assuming in this post capitalist world there won't be the you know the rich businessmen that come in but yeah they're, they're kind of dicks anyway so. yeah <laughs> so who needs them <laughs> yeah but i think there's a part of um uh you know stripping which i don't you know sex work aside like the per performative aspect of like pole dancing and stuff mm -hmm. I don't know if we're, you know, for just bartering things, if anyone's yeah. going to come and, like, share their potatoes to watch me, like, <laughs> do a backflip on the pole. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'd like to think that there's some value in that. Yeah, know? there is. And it's, it's, I can see how it can also be, like, artistic expression in a way yeah. as well. Um, and I, I don't think any society, like, any society that we end up building um, 
after the inevitable downfall of capitalism. I, we can't lose art and we can't lose honest yeah. expression. Um, and I think we'll I think we'll find ways to, you know, make sure that everyone has the basic necessities so that they can still continue to do what is valuable and what yeah. they find beautiful in yeah. the world. Um, one thing that I really liked that you said was um, that there's the, there's always going to be a need for intimacy. Because um, I, I was talking with my cousin uh, the other day and he was he was talking about he's like I, I feel like I'm trying to you know find someone and you know just develop intimacy in a relationship and then I'm hanging out with you right now who's been in a relationship with Alyssa for nine years right he's like I feel like you're just on the other side of this wall right now and what I told him and what I kind of realized in that moment is I was like I was like we're still the same because even because I'm still searching for intimacy and closeness every day. Yeah. Like every day I'm trying to find that sort of understanding and, um, you know, connection, even with Alyssa, who I've been with for nine years. Yeah, it's easier to probably pull that out because we've, you know, gone through so many situations in life. But that doesn't mean I'm still not looking for it. Yeah. And I, I like that because even if we do find some way... and. Like, first of all, we have to even argue whether the state or whatever systems we build could even provide an environment where we build intimacy and connection, yeah. right? Um, but let's say it does and we figured it out. At the end of the day, everyone is still trying to find meaning and trying to find intimacy. And um, I think that's kind of cool that you said that. Yeah. Um, I can see where that's really valuable. Um, so I really hope we can end capitalism. I feel like we keep talking about it. We're, we're just... We're, we it. haven't even, like, gotten into the topic. And we're just, like, already imagining it. It's like, okay, time to build new systems and stuff. I, I'm... I don't know. I, I feel like we're, we're really in a uh, post-industrialist society. We're, like, we're really on the point of destroying ourselves, right? Mm. So, I mean, do you think we should even end capitalism, first of all? Um, I mean, well, what we have currently, I wouldn't even consider capitalism mm. you know in yeah like what the, do you mean by that in the dictionary sense mm -hmm. just like in the same way when you're like ah hell yeah communism people yeah. are like look how that worked out for china and yeah like, it's like that's not, not quite communism, communism. Mm -hmm. so but the structure you know the system that we have currently definitely needs to burn down and yeah. i don't I was talking to my partner about this and they were like, okay, well, what are you going, what are we going to put in place? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know, but mm -hmm. I do know that like the bigger it gets, the, <laughs> the bigger you, the fallout. Yeah. Well, and also <laughs> it's just like things in motion stay in motion. And so mm -hmm. in, until we decide to end it, it's just going to continue the way it is. Yeah. So I, yes, it Until should it definitely itself, end, right? but I, I don't even know if I'd consider it capitalism at this point. I, I think that's a good point because, um, you know, in its basic sense, capitalism, really all we're doing, I mean, capitalism is trying to acquire capital, right? Mm -hmm. It's trying to attain profit. And then we've mm -hmm. developed a system that, yes, is capable of attaining and amassing so much profit, right? Um, I thought it was a good point that, you know, this this current system really isn't capitalism in its most basic sense, but it is capitalism in its most extreme sense. Yeah. And it is very, like, it's just gotten so mutated and grotesque, especially in the way that 
our these corporations and things have been able to influence government to help them grow more profits and siphon more profits from the people. Well, and it's like the aspect, the thing that confuses me in that is like, in my mind, that would be socialism if the government is redistributing wealth to help anything, something. right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's um, capitalist socialism, right? It's funneling it all to the corporations. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I don't even know what I'd call it at this point. It is really it's gross. It's a bastardization of whatever humans were supposed to do with the yeah. economy. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think, like, we've also gotten to a weird point where I think people think that this is, like, natural. This is, like, oh, this this phenomenon that we're experiencing right now is, is like, just, like, a normal aspect of nature. But what we don't realize is that we're actually, like, artificially holding up this system. I mean, think about it. Like, COVID just barely, right? Like, brought the entire world economy to its knees. Yeah. And then we had to artificially pump it back to life with giving everybody stimulus checks and just trying to get people yeah. to consume again. Um, and I think, I don't know, we're seeing that there's got to be a better way. We're yeah. se- I mean, we're, we're already talking about, like, how it's just going to end itself and essentially, yeah. like, obliterate itself because we can't have endless growth on finite resources, right? Um, I feel like there's a question in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I mean, do you think we should even be like working to end capitalism? Do you think, I guess, actually, this is, uh, kind of, you asked me earlier what I think the, the vision for kindness rebellion is, right? Um, I, I'm tired of seeing revolutions and rebellions that are completely founded on destroying and you know, putting scars upon everybody involved. Yeah. Um, I understand that in, indefinitely there's going to be like, there will be a power struggle no matter mm-hmm. what, right? But I want to see if there are ways that we can rebel um, with kindness, with connection, with community. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you think we can do that. And uh, yeah, do you think we can do that? I, I definitely do. Yeah. I feel like I make an effort to do that. Mm-hmm. In my daily life. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Just yeah, by yeah. evading the IRS. Yeah. But <laughs> also, like, back to the lawn mm-hmm. or the yard. Yeah, yeah. Another, and this is this is something that I am, like, strangely political about. Yeah. Is the water consumption to grow a lawn <sighs> and things so like dumb. that. And yeah. it's like, you know, I'm just thinking of what my personal impact can be can be mm-hmm. yeah as far as the rebellion goes and i'm like yeah. fuck it i'm not I'm not watering the lawn yeah <laughs> like we're not doing grass in this family <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to be freaking pumping and wasting water just to have something look aesthetically yeah. pleasing and that's what well, we already it's, described it's is like kind of grotesque environmentally um i guess just irresponsible to you know, suffocate all of the indigenous plants that are needed by the pollinators. Mm-hmm. And I know we are on, on capitalism. I feel yeah, like no, it's this, just this, this is whole, really tied and entrenched yeah, with each other. Yeah, yeah, all of it's the same thing in my mind. And mm-hmm. then it sounds like I'm going on to different topics. But it's like, you know, we're going through a drought here in Utah. Yeah, it's bad. And instead of telling people, hey, like... Maybe don't water your lawns. They're like, okay, these are the approved times Yeah. For, lawn watering kind of structure and, it out yeah. so you can keep priming up and prepping your yeah so better I mean, homes and gardens there's like one act of kindness rebellion i think nice. that we can do not as kind to the hoas i'm sure but fuck them you know just <laughs> kinder to the environment and 
kinder to yourself to not spend all that time stressing about grass. I think that's good, honestly. I think that's kind of the places that we have to start. I mean, we yeah. we have to think about, um, you know, Russell Brand talks about some of the ways that we could just rebel right now against the insane power structures that we're dealing with on a daily basis is don't pay your mortgage, you know? Yeah, like there, there's <laughs> okay. things like that. It's like if you, as soon as you try to attack financial interests yeah. or just by like opting out, you realize how much power you have in that single moment, yeah. right? Um, and so even something as simple as just like, I'm not going to sit and stress over trying to make my lawn look like everybody yeah. else's. I'm just going to work with what the land is providing yeah. and allow it to be that way and helping pollinators in the area. I think it, it sounds, maybe it sounds silly or like it's not doing enough, but yeah. at the end I, of the day, <laughs> you're doing a part, right? You're, no, you're helping. I'm just realizing how silly it sounds, like vocalizing that to anyone but my partner. Yeah. It's like... I don't know. <laughs> I, I think those small changes and those those shifts in our mindset are what's going to be building up the momentum for change. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, I could I could say, like, yeah, just stop paying your mortgage. That's how we're really going to fight this rebellion, yeah. right? Well, but, I mean, if enough people got on the ba- you know, got yeah. on the bandwagon for that, that would definitely... That would be that would be a mass land grab, yeah. literally. Like people would just all of a sudden say, "You don't get to decide that I'm living here on your dime," you know. Yeah. Um, I live here. I exist here. I cultivate this space. I'm now going to just be fully responsible for it and not try to cater to some bank that's telling me what to do or anything yeah. like that, right? And then also even just paying taxes, right? Like if your taxes are oh, not, yeah. if if we can see that our tax dollars are doing nothing but filling. Uh, but, you know, fulfilling Subs- militaristic yeah. action and subsidizing, <laughs> you know, the dairy industry because oh, people were trying to make an God. impact on that. And then they're like, oh, shit, dairy sales went down. I think we need to boost just, that up. Yeah, give some give some money, even <laughs> though people are clearly voting with their dollar. Yeah, exactly. Like, so there there are still like even though there, these big changes will have to happen eventually, it has to start with people being like breaking out of the culture in their mm-hmm. own environment. And I think that. Maybe it does sound silly to say out loud, but yeah. it's good that you're taking action. You're taking, you know, autonomy back. Yeah. I think that's what we all need to start, be, like, doing. Yeah. And then well, also it's... be willing to deal with the consequences with it. Yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, and that's that's one of those things that it's, like, truly 100% the individual's choice yeah. to make the impact or not. Because yeah. you know, we talked about buying things off of Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, contributing to gas emissions with yeah. driving cars and things mm-hmm. like that where it's like you can't really opt out of that because there's not another system in place to yeah. opt into yeah but with something as little as letting the bugs live in your yard on the plants <laughs> that are supposed to be there yeah it's like that hey. it's that's just an easy thing that we could start doing that would already be changing the mindset of yeah. people and i actually like that you pointed out that like it's hard to opt out of something if there's not something else in place um because something that i've also been thinking about and you know russell brand has talked about is like if we're going to create new systems, maybe we don't have to burn down the current one and be like, oh, shit, what do we do now? And just leave yeah. this vacuum for probably the same thing to emerge, right? Um, he says that we should build these systems adjacent. Yeah. Because if we, you know, if we did actually create something that was like, hey, yeah, you could, you know, drive your car everywhere and, you know, keep putting out emissions. Or we can do this thing and build up the, you know, maybe public transit or just like building up this new idea of community and building up these 
better feelings of like communion with the earth in general and things like that, then we can create systems adjacent to what we have right now and then move over to it because then capitalism will just die out. No, you're, that's a good way to put it. I haven't thought about it like that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, cause like, you know, I, I understand the desire to just like burn the whole thing down because it just gets so frustrating a lot of the times, uh, right? I still think we should. I, I like I do too, to be honest. <laughs> like I I hate <laughs> get the get, eat the rich. Like there's definitely these like I have those feelings, but then I also as soon as you start getting into just the nitty gritty, because you know since I've actually been very passionate about what we can do to just change the world and change our systems, you end up hitting those things like, okay, what do you do about this? What do you do about this? What do you do about this? You know? And so then I'm realizing like, okay, I really can't just burn it all down because it just fucks people up. I mean, have you ever seen, um, uh, Mr. Robot? No, you... I'll try not to spoil it or anything. Okay, I'm very uncultured. No, don't even worry about it. This is just a tea. Okay. This is good. (laughs) So essentially they find a way to break the system they find a way to just literally break it but because they didn't figure out any what to do after the fallout they deal with all these other consequences as a result of it and those forces that they broke are just building up a way to come back stronger right so i think that's i think that's something i'm really interested is just the ways that we can build systems um adjacent to what we have right now because like I don't know, all of the structures that we have right now, all the the buildings, the the cars, the companies, all of these things are built by people with a common goal and a purpose. So it's like if we literally just all put that energy to something different, we could do it. Yeah. I really think we could. No, I agree entirely. And I was I don't know if the idea in when these systems were built was to divide and conquer, but I feel like a very large factor in you know needing to continue getting resources from these things Mm -hmm. was just like the idea of the nuclear family and everyone Mm -hmm. living in their little house by themselves and their family and you know you might drive 40 minutes away to work when if we just like built the communities that we're currently in there wouldn't be a need to Buy the microphones from Amazon because maybe somebody right? in town makes them. Yeah, I, you or know, even like, like, what would the need for a microphone be at that point? Yeah, right? exactly. You're, you're kind of finding meaning within community because yeah. I think we try to think that community isn't really important or like we've transcended it because of how big our society has gotten mm-hmm. and like with the internet and things like that. And yet we have way more people feeling more alone, yeah. right? So like they're actually yearning for a sense of community yeah i think that's kind of what i uh, another thing that i wanted to talk to you about is like uh have you heard of localization and kind of um how that would help restructure our society i have not it's um it's kind of it's this new thing that i've been learning so i'm not even like close to an expert on it but it's just the idea that right now our systems are built to be centralized um specifically like agriculture right Mm -hmm. What we're doing is we're we're colonize, colonizing all of this space for agriculture, and in doing so, we're just destroying um, all of the land and all yeah. of the environment in that space. We're not creating healthy diets at all, so we're hurting people. Yeah, and then we're also um, we're taking away autonomy from individuals to actually like build their own lives um kind of an example that i've i've heard of with this aspect is like growing strawberries in the middle east right um we'll have 
American companies go in and own that space and create all these farms to, you know, make straw or to grow strawberries that they then export to be consumed in the U.S. So all of that work and all that labor that's happening in that area, these people that are actually there working on the land are not getting anything from it, but like shitty wages because that's why it moved there in the first place because it's cheap, right? Um, Whereas localization would say those people are there, they get to reap the benefits of whatever they're cultivating. And um, the reason I'm kind of interested in your opinion on it is because I feel like you've already started like engaging in localism in a way yeah just based on like what you've been doing with your property where you've been able to you know kind of grow the things you want leave what is already growing there um so i guess i just kind of wanted to feel out your opinions on that and what you think um what you think we could build with it yeah i uh, it's probably hard since you're getting like a very (laughs) very limited uh knowledge from it from me right now yeah but well and it's it's like an idea that i have i don't know i you ever have ideas and you're like wow i'm a genius and Mm -hmm. then you come across someone who's like oh yeah that's called localization you're like like, oh "Oh, it's already a thing (laughs) that's great um sorry repeat the question (laughs) no you're good i'm wondering i'm wondering what you think of localization and whether um whether you think we can do it, whether you think there's even going to be a desire for it. Yeah. I I don't know if there would necessarily be a desire at this point in time. I feel like anything that is a revolution in a way Mm -hmm. takes time to build traction. But I think that localization is the only way to combat capitalism or whatever, you know, this is that we have currently. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, like, personally... Once I, like, I I feel like a part of the reason localization might not be as attractive or attainable to a lot of people is because that takes money. You know what I mean? Yeah, it takes time. Yeah. When I began dancing, it was like, you know, I'm not making, like, dumb money. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm making dumb money compared to what I grew up in and stuff like that. So I had all of this money all of a sudden and I was like, wait a second, I can buy local now? Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I Mm -hmm. just like, I would take probably 50% of my earnings every month and go and just spend it in places where I was like, I want these people to have my money because we need, you know, the community. Yeah. You need to build it up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, for instance, near where I live, a corporate um, hardware store was recently built, Mm -hmm. like not even a mile from like a family owned one. (laughs) Nice. And like, you know, just to kind of segue into that. Yeah. And like me and my family who lives nearby and my neighbors are all Mm -hmm. like, we will never Shop there. Never shop there. Never shop there. <laughs> Keep we it have local. To, yeah. <laughs> I think that's something that's been hard for me is like I sort of saw the problem with capitalism and I saw it like 
fundamentally wrong just to be having transactions in general. It was yeah. it was weird. Like it's just almost like poisonous, and I just like kind of got to that, and I was like, we shouldn't be trading or like buying anything. And obviously, that's not the yeah. answer. That's not gonna how it's gonna work. But I, I like the idea of just focusing more on growing your local yeah. economy and keeping it in your local economy, yeah. right? Um, and I'm wondering if that's just gonna be the main catalyst for change like if we yeah. can actually just give a shit about our communities i think that well i mean humans are pack animals mm. and as much as we still run in packs for the most part mm -hmm. just to kind of tie back into the um, earlier topic in our uh, conversation about intimacy yeah. and people searching through it for mm -hmm. it and trying to find connection through the internet yeah and it's like i think that the internet is the symptom of, I mean, the internet started out as something, a great new invention, yeah, you know, like it, it is, it is what it but is, right? It, um, definitely disconnected people and mm -hmm. because we find almost like a pseudo connection through mm. the internet and we also use the internet to buy things from overseas, you mm -hmm. know, we use the internet to invest in cryptocurrency and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And I mean... I'm not shitting on cryptocurrency by any means. Mm -hmm. If it's, you know, if the government doesn't know about your money, that's great. Like, <laughs> that's all the more power yeah. to you. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like we're so disconnected now because of the things that have been put in place for us to buy. And I think yeah. that a lot of those things were created with the idea that it would bring more connection. Yeah. And so, you know, like I know that during the 90s there was this like almost some type of renaissance where, you know, the internet was coming out and mm -hmm. everyone thought it was going to become a global, you know, it was going to create a global village. Yeah. And it was going to be a revolution of its own. Yeah. But then it turned into something that was much more divisive and mm. even used to, you know. Isolate people. Yeah, isolate and separate us from, you know, people far away, but even people close to you. Like, yeah. Sitting people, right next to you, yeah. and you're just sitting there looking on your phone, well, I mean, right? Even like aside from that, like family units where somebody's like queuing on, dude, mm. and the other one's like, ah, ah I don't want to engage with that. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, and I, I think that's really interesting. The idea of like a, a global village, and and I'm wondering if the reason that the internet didn't just go ahead and solve that problem and create a global village is because we didn't actually change what humans are fundamentally after right and i think that's i think that's probably the i think that's the aspect of real systemic change that people don't want to talk about is kind of um we have to decide as a species what we want what we want to be doing with existence yeah right um because for me it's turning more into like this sort of spiritual understanding of what of what this existence needs to be like you know because if it any new system will have to understand the fact that yes we do have to trade goods and services in order to accomplish certain goals right yeah. but if the goals of that of our society is trading goods and services then we'll never really find meeting because yeah. i think that's kind of where we're at right now well, right I mean, like just to touch on that, I think that self-sustainability is definitely, like, a very good goal to have, to, yeah. you know, not have to do the bartering and mm -hmm. not have to, you know, do any of that. And you would still do that in, like, a 
tribe-like unit, just yeah, yeah, tie yeah. into humans being pack animals again. But mm-hmm. I feel like that pack in itself is too small, and that's why, you know, humans want to make connection, mm-hmm. and that's might be partially the reason there's a drive to barter and exchange services and it's because we're kind of using that as a connection in a way i like that and i also like the idea that um just how we are pack animals we are searching for connection and things like that and i guess i'm wondering how we can actually establish like a vision like what could actually what could everyone literally agree upon you know and say like this is what humanity should be working towards i think that the problem the problem we'd run into with that Mm -hmm. is there i mean it's been in every civilization and culture since the beginning of time yeah but there's some people that won't agree with anything but power for themselves and i don't know that's a good point what breeds that or Mm. if it's you know like some type of neurological like illness oh you know it's like yeah sharks that go rogue and those are the ones that like eat people or whatever yeah there's some science behind that i swear i just um, i I can't (laughs) yeah no no no. i I understand it's like maybe like a some type of a defect but Mm -hmm. for whatever reason um i think it's an infectious defect Mm -hmm. too but you know it's just like this hunger for power or whatever it else might be yeah and i mean like i remember before i was making money you know the idea in my mind of what like being happy was to, oh like, yeah start a business like when i started mm-hmm. canna mother i was like i'm this gonna start happens. this business mm-hmm. and i'm gonna make it fucking massive i'm gonna turn it into an mlm and that might fuck people over but, but i'm gonna have i'm gonna have lots of money yeah i'm gonna have lots of money and mm-hmm. then i got to a point where I had enough money to be comfortable, and then I was like, wait. What do I do now? Maybe I don't want that. I mean, it wasn't even like that. It was like mm-hmm. this feeling of just like being content and being like, wow. Like, I'm yeah. happy, and I don't need to, I don't need to To turn this anything. into like a monolith yeah. or anything. I like that. Yeah. I like that you had that experience. That's really valuable. We yeah. need more people to have that. In terms of like, how do you deal with people that are inevitably going to seek power and you know just yeah. more and more selfish drives i think it's, that it's necessary oh sorry, oh, sorry. i was just going to say i think that's a good question that's definitely something yeah. we need to address right and i think that um a lot of this like fascination with power money notoriety or whatever mm-hmm. comes from some type of a like scarcity mindset mm. where you know people who I don't know. Like in my in my experience personally, it was like I grew up in scarcity and then came into a place where you're comfortable. Like, Yo, there's not ants in the cereal. Because like, <laughs> that was a thing growing yeah. up. It was like we couldn't pay for somebody to come and spray for pests. Yeah. And we also were getting food from the food bank, and so mm-hmm. like we couldn't just throw away the ant-infested cereal. We just yeah, fucking you ate had it, to, you know? Yeah, you had to keep it. And then you get to a point where you're not eating the ants, and mm-hmm. you're like... <laughs> like, just, oh, this is nice. You're like, this is nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that people who maybe grow up in... more privileged, in a way, mm-hmm. have a scarcity mindset because they know what the top looks like. 
mm-hmm. and they don't want to go down. Uh, and then, you know, they just keep trying to grow it. Grow or it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like, I know a lot of, I've met a lot of people who, you know, are business owners, small business owners, like, you know, just doing whatever it is to survive. And it's always like the smaller business owners who are just happy, you mm-hmm. know, they're just yeah. like, they just have it all under control. They're just and providing their service. Yeah. They're just doing their thing. They can pay for the things they want. Do. Mm-hmm do fun things on occasion yeah and i meet these other people who came into the world and with with a silver spoon in their mouth and they're mm-hmm. just you know they enough is never enough n- enough is never enough and they just like can't stop chasing whatever yeah, they're chasing whatever it right is. yeah i think that's a i think that's really interesting because when you do come from like real type of scarcity it's easier to appreciate the comfort that you achieve yeah um and then because i kind of i kind of grew up privileged actually like i grew up very privileged and i had that feeling of like i've always got to be moving on to the next thing i always got to be getting more because i started with something and yet there was still this like hole right you're still like this isn't good enough if you're in like a sort of relative poverty where you can see people who have something maybe it's sort of easier to say like oh okay like I can find happiness through that. Um, I think in the end for everybody, regardless of where you start, if you're trying to find happiness through like, like material means, it's not going to be enough, but that doesn't mean that, you know, having a safe place to live, having food to eat and like healthcare aren't important, but like those are the necessary components to prepare you for finding meaning in other ways. And I think the meaning in the, in, and that's where I really just want to create systems where we can provide that for everybody, yeah. right? Like, like we could end homelessness right now. We could end hunger in America right now. And we could give everybody free health care in America yeah. right now. And yet we don't. And if we could do all of those things, then we can all of a sudden start building a space where people are, are, are able to actually look at their lives and say, what is meaningful to me? What yeah. is valuable? And I think that's what opens up the momentum for like a spiritual awakening where people actually do find meaning in their life. And this is actually something I really was excited to talk to you about because you've always been pretty open about like different types of spirituality or maybe even just like, you know, sort of, I'm trying to think of the word for it, but things that outside of the human experience and just like the, the ability to accept, um, just other explanations for the universe and life and kind of just spirituality in general. Do you still like identify as a spiritual person? Yeah. What does that look like no, for you? I, I definitely do. And I mean, there was a point in time where I was kind of, I guess, indoctrinated or like programmed to mm-hmm. see in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through psychedelic mushrooms, mm-hmm. I was able, yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) I was able to kind of like break through that and realize that there wasn't any type of binary in any, just anything at all in life. Yeah. It's all just is, right? Yeah. There's, there's no black or white. It's just, it's all gray and there's, you know, there can be multiple explanations for Mm -hmm. one certain result. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I literally cannot remember if you were there or not, but Mm -hmm. there was, 
I, I had this experience, and Alyssa was there. Mm-hmm. She told me, in retrospect, it was like watching my ego leave my body. And I was like, <laughs> I, that was a fever dream, but I was having a good time. <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> but I was able to, you know, just kind of recognize through that experience the, you know, I had beliefs that I wanted to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also had beliefs that were self-limiting and mind-limiting. Yeah. And, you know, it was just like what my perception currently is, mm-hmm. is, you know, and it wasn't even an idea of like what it currently is. My perception just is. was at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess, I guess that's still how it is now, but I, you know, have an understanding that like perspective isn't necessarily reality yeah okay that's interesting i I don't necessarily believe reality is real either so this Mm -hmm. is where like this conversation can can go off the wall yeah right like what what is talking about (laughs) (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i think that's interesting because like uh, did that was that like sort of a spiritual experience for you oh yeah for sure there was um so i did end up uh in a psych ward Mm mm-hmm and I had this, like, I say it's like a fever dream, but it was like being on another plane, plane of existence. Like, yeah. I was in the physical reality, and in my current beliefs that I hold now, I think that there's multiple planes of reality that we are in mm-hmm. currently. Yeah. Um, and there's ones below and above us. And I mean, even with, like, the visual spectrum, there's, mm-hmm. like colors that some animals can see but we can't see yeah and we're just not receiving that input right yeah and so it's like you know it's just kind of this like spectrum or i don't know scale Mm -hmm. of kind of some kind but it was like i tapped into this plane that was above the physical reality i'd been living in Mm -hmm. and i um i just fucking knew things i don't know like it was like downloads into my brain which sounds slightly schizophrenic um it is what it is and i right? mean i i reject all diagnoses mm-hmm. <laughs> and so i haven't gotten diagnosed or you know really talked to anybody since then because mm-hmm. I, I found a lot more um value in just like working through things myself yeah and trying to understand yeah everything you've been through formulating my own ideas of what my experiences meant you mm-hmm. know because i mean the DSM-5 was just written f- by some other people who weren't yeah. me. And so yeah, like, exactly. I'm like, I don't give them any trying, more credit. they're trying to box you up, yeah. if anything, well, right? It's a, also a for-profit system, so it it's, is, you know, yeah. a whole other... A whole other can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would just, like, I would see people's names written, mm-hmm. or I would just, like, look at them, and I knew them, and it wasn't, like... Like, I, it's not like I knew their middle name or, like, yeah, their yeah, birthday, yeah. but it was like I, I understood their potential and their worth. Um, and then I was also just, like, it was, like, a download is the only way to describe it, where mm-hmm. it was just, like, I went from one, like, it was, well, like, a system update. Like, yeah. one system into, like, the next iOS. And yeah, I was like, exactly. Wow, this is cool. And I've kind of stayed in that mm-hmm. realm since. But there was a... A point in time where I was asking for a 
doula, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is someone who's like a birth coach, like oh, a, okay. you know, emotional support person for somebody who's in labor. And that's some work that I had been in before. Mm -hmm. And in my limited perspective and also, you know, just altered reality that I was living in in that moment, I was asking them for essentially someone to share emotional intimacy with to be yeah. like, hey, you know, and like a, guidance. Almost. Yeah. Like and a therapist wasn't just not cut out for the job, I guess. It wasn't, mm -hmm. that wasn't the type of help I was needing. Um, and I was told by this download that I would have a, I would get a doula and her name was Courtney. The next morning I was given a roommate and I woke up and the roommate's name was Courtney hmm. and she and I like talked together and she was also slightly delusional. Mm -hmm. Um, but she is a life coach for people who, um, experience altered states of reality. Yeah. Um, whether that I, I don't want to say anything about what her work is just because yeah, yeah. I'm not too familiar. So I'm for gonna, sure. Yeah. But Courtney Sanders, everyone, the bipolar divine, but I think she works with other people as well. Sweet. Um, but she like really helped me in that moment to just mm -hmm. like, I was just talking to her and I was like, explaining all of these ideas and perspectives I had and how like they didn't line up with each other because my social programming didn't match what I wanted to believe. And she was like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to explain in a way that's like, sounds coherent. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah, <laughs> it no, was a very strange experience, but it was so profound to me that I was like, looking at this woman and I was like, are you Jesus? Like, <laughs> <laughs> are you here to say like, yeah, <laughs> but I think people, anyone could be cynical about that experience or whatever. Yeah. But I think the bottom line is, is that it meant something to you and it, yeah. and it changed and altered no, you. It was definitely a spiritual awakening and it nice. was, yeah, just fueled by mushrooms, but it was like a trip that didn't, didn't end. Yeah. Kind of went off on a tangent there. No, it's, it's, I think that's kind of, context. I think that's where like, people don't realize that that's kind of the things that they need in their life, right? They need this sort of like this breakdown of all of their previously, you know, yeah, to just their unlearn. previous constructs. Yeah. So yeah. that they can all of a sudden take in new information. Yeah. And I think that's why mushrooms and other psychedelics are actually so conducive to a spiritual yeah. awakening because I've also experienced a similar, just like profound understanding on those substances that, you know, if I, tried to explain it to people they could easily just be like well like you know it's just this happening right here it's like but you weren't there <laughs> yeah. you know you weren't there experiencing it and that's kind of where i do feel like sort of to tie this all in together like if we if we really do provide people their basic necessities in order to just live then they can actually have these ex it can prepare them for these experiences that we're yeah. talking about you know these really strong personal uh, experiences that really no one else can understand yeah. only ourselves and i think that's kind of the spiritual thing that people need in their lives yeah something that i had realized in that um time of awakening was like i had i was manic for like a week or something mm -hmm. it got to a point where i was just like not even making fucking sense yeah oh, were you there i don't know no, maybe Maybe it was it was Alyssa and her mm -hmm. cousin. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm putting it together back in my mind because I'm like, I... You kind of weren't there, yeah, right? Yeah, I was on a different plane. But something that I was, like, hyper fixated on was uh, that pyramid that 
you know, it's got the bottom line of like security, safety, like. Oh, oh, yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of yes, needs. Yeah. That, and like how it correlated to like the chakras and mm -hmm. like, you know, all of that. But I feel like what you just said ties into that where it's like, you know, once you give people the first like four levels of yeah that pyramid their basic necessities and yeah stuff. then they have the potential to reach self-actualization mm -hmm. and i might be i might be wrong about this but i think that one of the um you know levels on the pyramid mm -hmm. is like community yeah um and like I, social needs yeah, and stuff like that i think that a large part of the reason people have a hard time self-actualizing just to tie it back into even more previous into the conversation mm -hmm. is just the disconnect that the internet has provided yeah. and that capitalism has provided and mm -hmm. you know it, yeah it creates some type of a hierarchy and you know some you know that is a weird it is a weird way that communities have been built what that are like sort of disjointed or like disconnected through the internet and into a point that really isn't um it doesn't work with like kind of our evolved biology, kind of like what we were saying, like the, the pack mentality that yeah. humans have. Like maybe we are creating communities on the Internet and so those can have value, but they're still not providing oh, yeah. the like presence. Like it's not, yeah. like there's there's a different interaction no, happening I, right here I'm because not we're here. To shit on the Internet by any yeah, means yeah. either. No, I like just, it is what it is, yeah. right? There's a lot of, I feel like, I guess internet trolls that mm -hmm. just kind of fuck with that where it's yeah. like you know you might have a community that's all based around one thing and then you have somebody that comes in and they're like no fuck that and yeah it starts some war among like this community and this community mm -hmm. especially in like the social media space just with you know there's just a lot going on there yeah <laughs> there is and I, I think like the trolling is interesting because really what's happening there at least from my perspective is they also the generally the people that are trolling are probably feeling j like just as lonely as everyone else yeah. but they think that the way of dealing with it is saying like everyone's alone so let's go into these communities and just make people feel like shit yeah. and make them feel like this is like stupid and not worth putting time into yeah um which is in the end dumb because you're the one also putting time into that if you're going through and just wrecking yeah. these communities well, and i think that it it being an internet troll or just, you know, an asshole on the internet even offers a level of, you know, that faux intimacy we touched on where yeah. it's like there's many types of intimacy and mm -hmm. there is an intimacy within calling someone out on their bullshit. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. Among friends, I feel like that's one of like the most valuable things you can do is be like, dude, you're fucking wrong. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, it's hard to get in those situations. Yeah. It feels terrible. But, yeah, but there's like there's, there's adrenaline it. behind it and intimacy. And I think that's like what those people are searching for when they want to confront mm. people on the Internet that they do not know about. Yeah. A perspective they do not agree with. Yeah. But, as long as they're actually going to be open to learning from it i think that's the difference right because yeah. when you're talking about that intimacy within a friend group it's usually like i love you but like that's just wrong yeah. and then you're kind of willing to open up a dialogue whereas at least in my experience from like trolls on the internet yeah. or whatever they're just there to fuck shit up no, they just want to be oppositional and make yeah. people feel uncomfortable but i can see what you're saying like well, it's like the difference between like i'm trying to think of a good like comparison mm -hmm. that other people would 
be able to contextualize, but like the first thing that comes to my mind um, working in the birth space is there is a chemical um, or a manufactured form of the chemical oxytocin, which is what causes labor. It's called pitocin. Mm -hmm. And it forces the body to do its thing in a way. You know what I mean? Uh But it's inorganic, but the body could create that on its own. So you're just but it's, instigating that Yeah, system. just like, but that's what I kind of feel like those interactions are in a way, oh, is it's like, okay. you know, giving yourself, or trying to, like, interact you're, with people in a way mm-hmm. that you don't get to interact with the people around you. As yeah. sick and fucked up as that sounds. But I can kind of see that, because they're introducing it into a system. And kind of what that makes me think of, in a way, is like... Those communi- those internet communities, um, they often are like hyper polarized, right? Yeah. And they sort of keep like other ideas out. Yeah. So maybe like even though it's an overcorrection, you know, trolling where they're really just trying to like break up that system or whatever, and maybe it's just as um, maybe impervious to new ideas, but it's sort of like I think it's sort of necessary sometimes in order to but like what if you have someone trolling like a Nazi community you know like you kind of need this way to break up those really like solidified ideas those might be I don't know I feel like that's almost like a different it is a a, whole different space space. but I guess that's kind of just what I'm seeing with it because I don't know the internet in general sort of feels extremist in a way yeah oh no for sure Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking personally of like uh like there were a lot of like mom groups I was in when I was working in the birth space mm-hmm. because you know that's how we'd get clientele and yeah. whatever um and you know you'd have the people who did cloth diapering and mm-hmm. the people who did the disposable diapering mm-hmm. and it was just like the wars that would <laughs> yeah that, happen between these people would be pretty bad <laughs> yeah and it's just uh, and it's probably also a symptom of people just wanting to feel like they're at a higher yeah like they know everything yeah they got it figured out but right? i think that it, it is just like also a symptom of wanting connection mm-hmm. you know to be like hey i have something i have something to teach you mm-hmm. um but you know just trying to force the interaction yeah that's interesting because like in the end I, I can see that and the only way that that's going to work where it actually works in dialogue and we actually you know, learn from each other when we have these, like, those kind of feelings about ourselves is if we, like, suspend our ego, right? Yeah. Because as long well, as you can... get off the internet, you know? Yeah. It doesn't need to be, like, a... Yeah, put it in person. Yeah, like, make it make it real. Make it community. Mm-hmm. Community. Localize it. <laughs> Localize it, for sure. And, like, the... Kind of what we talked about earlier, um, by localizing it, by bringing it into the reality... Um, it just it creates a whole new interaction, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're arguing with someone on the internet, you could say anything you want and oh, probably yeah. have very little consequences, well, right? Well, also just make shit up. Make shit yeah, up, yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> but if you're in, in person with someone, you have to acknowledge their feelings. You have to acknowledge the atmosphere and the space and all that other more complex, nuanced information that's happening. Um, and I think we need more of that in our culture and our society. Yeah. Um, especially if we're going to try and cultivate spiritual growth and... Uh, new systems and ways of just making people feel better. Yeah. Um, I think there was, uh, there was, I kind of wanted to continue on that vein of mental health. Oh yeah. Cause I think, um, 
I've seen a lot of people dealing with mental health issues. I mean, for one thing, we're talking about it more. So mm -hmm. that's healthy. Yeah. And I think that's good. Um, but it's also just becoming so like pandemic. Yeah. Like everybody has, has dealt with depression or anxiety in their life, at least our generation. Yeah. Right. And I think the internet has definitely played a role oh, in definitely. that. Um, I guess I want, I kind of wanted to see how comfortable you are with, um, kind of describing your mental health journey. Um, what kind of tactics have you developed in order to, you know, cope and deal with, uh, any mental health issues that you've had? Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think I've been very blessed to be currently in a space where I don't deal with too many mental health issues mm -hmm. aside from like a slight bit of alcoholism <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um when i was really like in the trenches mm -hmm. um the way i came to understand it was these you know illnesses and you know i don't i don't want to come off as sounding like i'm discounting the experience of the illness because it is mm -hmm. but i don't think it's something that is inherently like a part of a person mm. you know what i mean like it's not it's not defining yeah it's not defining and i i don't think um you know there are definitely uh illnesses that are chronic and people continue mm -hmm. to deal with but i feel yeah. like most of every mental health issue or mental illness is stems from some type of childhood trauma mm -hmm. or you know, some type of environmental factor, whether that had been in the womb or wherever Whatever, else. Whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, or an environmental factor just as, like... The food we eat. The maybe. food we eat, mm -hmm. the um, culture we grow up in, mm -hmm. the pandemic, like, yeah. you know, people oh, yeah. isolation, mm -hmm. um, unhealthy family structures, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. And I think that's kind of where it bases like comes from builds um yeah and i mean even people with more chronic illnesses like i i've already mentioned schizophrenia yeah. i'm not trying to come after the people but with no like but... just those like big players that we think of as yeah. like like oh that takes full control over their life and they just have to identify yeah. with that and leave well, it well like i i don't think that people are born I mean, people are born, obviously, with different illnesses and different brain chemistry and, mm -hmm. you know, environmental factors in the womb, like I said. Um, but I think that almost all of it is a symptom of something else that happened in a person's life. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes there are lasting consequences for it. But if you can sit down and just unpack it, mm -hmm. and sometimes unpacking it isn't fun no you know what I no mean? it probably isn't you gotta, <laughs> there's um in like the witchcraft space mm -hmm. there's this thing called shadow work i mm -hmm. think it's kind of in the neo spiritual kind of realm as well yeah but it's called shadow work where you like there's even trained uh therapists that people will go to to do this type of work where mm -hmm. you sit down and just pull apart every aspect of your life and trauma and ideas and mm -hmm. unlearning that and learning why you thought that way and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, and when I was like, like I was saying in the trenches, I recognized that a lot of my behaviors and ideas around other people and myself were 
ideas that were given to me from, you know, a narcissistic influence mm-hmm. in my yeah. life, in my childhood growing up. Yeah. Um, and when I was able to recognize that, I was, it was easier for me to recognize the times in my life where I had reenacted that behavior because mm-hmm. that is what I, you know. That's what you learned. Yeah. That was your coping skill. Yeah. And so, you know, that was just like one aspect of like, I feel like I healed myself. I don't yeah. want to say I healed myself. No, I mean, either, obviously you know, like, it's a continued thing, Yeah, it's thing, a continued right? thing, but just, you know, recognizing where you fucked up, why you fucked up, maybe what the cause of the fuck up was, if it was a person, and then also recognizing that that is also a downfall of theirs, that, like, mm-hmm. whether or not they want to recognize that they were the cause of someone else's suffering, mm-hmm. they were, but they had their own suffering yeah that, you know also contributed to it and it gives you a little bit more peace with yourself and then also anyone who may have done you wrong in the past yeah you know, just to look at it from that aspect i like that there's a couple things in there that like some very key points that i really liked um specifically just i, I liked how, where you mentioned like sort of the understanding of where people have hurt you and also just your reaction and learning your behaviors to that and your learned behaviors to that. Um, And also the main, because I understand people wanting to have a diagnosis just to understand um, what they're going through and potentially what they could encounter. But at the end of the day, their experience is always going to be unique to them because they're unique individuals. And so I think it's, it's important to understand that when you identify with your trauma and you identify with your mental illnesses, you're actually maintaining those structures in your life. Mm -hmm. But when you can accept that they happened or that they are, that they have existed in your life, then you can learn how to move on from them, I think, Mm -hmm. Um, which it sounds like you were kind of able to realize and and understand about your own trauma and then therefore move on from it and sort of like shed it, right? Yeah. because I mean, if you're if you're gonna be walking around all the time saying like, "Oh, I did this behavior because of my trauma," then and yeah, you're exactly. not really free. You're yeah. not free. Well, and even it, recognizing that it was a result of your trauma, but not taking, you know, conscious responsibility for that action. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you need to think of it more like, "Okay, I had this reaction because of my trauma," mm-hmm. but you know, but I can change in, that reaction. But, you know, in yeah, like when you're in that space, when you're about to do something fucked up, be like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that despite my trauma, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And there's, I mean, it's very multi-layered because then there's aspects of mental illness that are just like chemical, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, we have to acknowledge and accept yeah. that, right? But I think that even those things can be unlearned in a way. Um, I also blew my brains out with psychedelics so mm-hmm. maybe my perspective on that isn't i mean like as attainable for you know anyone who's not mm-hmm. going into that space and being like yeah i'm just gonna do a shit ton of drugs yeah and see what happens <laughs> see if it fixes me <laughs> i i mean for one thing like it's interesting when we sort of say like oh this this like my depression is caused from an imbalance of chemicals or something like that what we don't realize is that Maybe there was an imbalance of chemicals, and then we're also, those chemicals are also 
creating and working in dialectic with our behaviors too, yeah. right? So it's like if I'm sitting here like, oh, I'm feeling bummed today because I don't have enough chemicals in my brain, then I'm just going to sit here and lay in bed all day and not do anything. But if you actually can try to stimulate yourself, yeah. if you can try to like understand what's happening to you, accept what's happening to you and work within it, we can do anything, yeah. right? I think we can, we can, I, I just, part of this whole podcast is kind of, documenting my own mental health journey and trying to help people move through it as well yeah because there is i could sit there and tell myself like oh i am depressed i have depression i have anxiety i i am depression i yeah. am anxiety or i could say these are aspects of my being that are affecting me in the moment and i can sit and observe them understand them and decide what I want to do with them. Because, yeah. like, I can't tell anyone, I like, how good it feels to be feeling like shit at one moment. And then all of a sudden be like, oh, I feel so shitty. I, I'm mad that I'm having a bad day. And it's like, what am I, what's actually happening right now? Yeah. I'm mad. I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling, like, tightness in my stomach. I'm feeling like, you know, and I'm just sitting there watching it. And then all of a sudden I can be like, do I want to keep feeling this way? You know, like... Maybe it's not as easy as I make it sound, but no, and I'm worried that I'm, you know, coming yeah, the same it, way. I'm but like, are we? It has to start there. <laughs> are we privileged? <laughs> we probably are, right? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> maybe I have no idea what people can go, what are going through. But at the end of the day, they have to be able to grasp and make a decision. Do I want to feel yeah. this way anymore? Well, and there's there's a large aspect of depression and anxiety that is. I guess more physiological or atomical. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what the anatomical. Right word would be. Anatomical. Um, but there like there's a lot of serotonin that is created in the gut. Yep. And so, you know, there are so many things that affect the gut. Mm -hmm. If you take antibiotics, you just decimate mm -hmm. your your yeah, gut you're, biome. you're changing your entire yeah, like you're just killing ecosphere. everything in there. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so you know, it's not even trying to make the conscious decision isn't necessarily the you know. It's not always going to be the final step. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. There's a lot of things, and you know, people can be like, oh, exercise and mm -hmm. eat healthy, mm -hmm. and I don't think it's that easy necessarily, especially when you are dealing with you know, mm -hmm. mental health struggles. And you're like, I do not have the capability to get out of bed. Yeah. Um, and like, as much as I do not believe in diagnoses, I value medication. Mm -hmm. Um, currently would not be surviving without Adderall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I've had this struggle with medication because, you know, I will get to a point in my life where I'm like, you know, I'm doing good. I don't need, I don't need an outside source to continue this momentum. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, whether it be through trauma or environmental factors or whatever else, the brain chemicals are affected. Yeah. You know? And something's and so, still happening there. Yeah. I think that's so good. To I know. think that would be a good thing to touch on. Just, to, yeah. you know, give more perspective mm -hmm. to, my own perspective, I guess. Yeah. Because it sounds like I'm kind of shitting on just... 
people who maybe yeah doesn't like, seem like they're trying or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's not at all the case. Like medication I, is definitely something that mm-hmm. can help and does help. And like it was probably. I'm trying to think. It was a few months ago that I just was not feeling it. Mm-hmm. It was winter, so I wasn't, you know, getting out much or anything mm-hmm. like that. Also, the beginning of me liking alcohol mm-hmm. maybe more than I should. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which destroys your gut biome, you know. Yeah, and, it has its own yeah, effects on your yeah, ecosystem and, and everything. Yeah, and it's not good for your brain and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. But I got to a point where I literally, I just like didn't want to get out of the out of bed and at mm-hmm. the time um my partner was still working and so like it was important for me to maintain the household duties you know mm-hmm. um and i was like you know what fuck it i'll go get back on my medication and mm-hmm. be a functioning human again yeah um and i guess that ties back into you know diet and exercise yeah. being a big factor but uh, well, that's something yeah. I wanted to mention is like we, we have to have more of a holistic view on it. You know, I can't just tell everyone and anyone that, hey, the, bet, the only way you're going to fix your mental health is if you just make a choice if you want to keep feeling this way. Yeah, because obviously it's a lot more nuanced than that. And then we also just acknowledge the fact that, you know, if you're not eating well, if you're hardly ever exercising, that's going to put an effect on you as well and then if there is a significant chemical imbalance, you've got to find a way to mitigate yeah. that at least for now. Right. So I think there, there's definitely something to be said for a holistic approach in understanding how someone can heal from their own mental health. And that's kind of what I'm really wanting to look for in um, becoming a therapist is I, I don't want to just be like, okay, so you're sent to me for cognitive behavioral therapy. Like, this is all we're going to work on, you yeah. know, and maybe maybe that is what they need to work on right then. The so CBT, it's a good aspect. Yeah, that's CBT. for uh, people with like B. Bipolar and BPD? Lots. Uh, it's, it's used for a lot of different, okay. yeah. So it's used for many different types of mental illnesses because, you know, it's it's all about the understanding your cognition. So what you're, you know, how you're thinking, what you think about life and your world, and then how to enact that in behavior, right? So it's just kind of tying yeah. those two together. And it's super valuable. It's a very effective therapy, but it also ha- is like uh, avoiding a lot of different aspects of life, right? So... If anyone's watching this or listening to this and is feeling like, well, fuck you, Nathan, you have no idea what it's like to experience this. You're right. I don't know what it's like. People are I don't know what it's like to experience a lot of different mental illnesses, but I know that there is a requirement for any mental health that you have to say that you are it's worth it to be alive. It's worth it to make an effort and it's worth it to value yourself. Mm -hmm. And so of course that can't be the end all be all, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be a factor in your health and your healing. Yeah. Do you want to move into the cave? Cause it's getting hot here. I was actually thinking that might be a good place to end it. I think we're over an hour, aren't we? 